0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron. Uh, and today we're going to be previewing the uh, the Nebraska game coming up here. Um, but before we get into that, Rod, there's been some um, talk from Izzo about lineup shuffling, um, and it appears that Rocket Watts uh, is just not feeling comfortable at the the point guard, and so Izzo's uh, said he's going to move him over to the two. Um, what does that mean
1: going forward? Well, it's it's interesting. Um, And and I got to tell you, I mean, look, Tom is on the team better than anyone knows the sport better than any of us. So I'm not I'm not questioning that. But, you know, it's got to be an interrelated thing, because offensively, before that Minnesota game, Michigan State came in with the number 11 offense in the country in terms of adjusted efficiency. So what you draw from that is offense is not the problem. All this stuff about, you know, not having a pure point guard, blah, 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 really wasn't holding the offense back from executing at a high level. Now I would say what, and and keep in mind, we're coming off a Wisconsin game where the offense was pretty good against an extremely good defensive team. Mm. So when you look at the Minnesota game, uh, you know, as we talked about, this is my eyes. Tom Izzo may see something different. Uh, I saw a team that didn't cut hard enough, didn't move well enough, wasn't setting good enough, to picks just across the board. It wasn't a point guard issue. And then just didn't hit shots on top of everything else. It, it, to me, it wasn't just a point guard issue. He may see it as he needs somebody with more of a voice, and more of an ability to get teammates to do those things when they're not. Fair enough. I I happen to think from, this is just my own opinion, from reading and listening to what he said, that it it has more to do with getting Rocket Watts on track as a total basketball player and how much they need that than it does Rocket Watts is just doing a terrible job at the one. Because I don't think he was. Mm Mm-hmm. As, I mean, I really don't think there's a lot of evidence for that, you know. Now, I, I've seen it suggested, and I can't rule it out, that, you know, some think, and maybe Izzo's in this camp, and, and some of the comments he made maybe suggest that this is the case. Some think that um, the burden of everything that goes into being a point guard at Michigan State is weighing on Rocket so much that it's affecting – ability to create offense for himself, to hit shots, to play consistent defense. Maybe I I find that difficult to 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 square mm. in my mind, but I can't rule it out and, and and again, he knows better than any of us. So if he thinks the situation warrants this, who am I to argue with it? But um you know, a Hall of Fame coach earns that kind of trust, right? But I just didn't think that was a very real possibility or probability. My own two cents. But it doesn't matter because he's made the statement, and I think that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see Rocket Watts playing off the ball, and, and that means somebody else is starting at the one. Now, there's three possibilities for that, as I see it. One, and the one that I think most fans are enthused about, coming off that last game, is A.J. Hogard the, the 6'3 freshman. Uh-huh. I don't know that I believe he'll be starting, at least not this game. Longer term, maybe so, because you can make an argument. You know, There's, there's even an argument that Foster Lawyer is not a pure point guard. I don't buy that as much as some do. I, I saw him do a pretty good job of running teams and distributing the ball. He wasn't just a shot hunter. Yeah. In high school, especially in AAU, he wasn't. Um, but whatever, there are some who feel that and feel that Hogarth is really the only natural point guard they have on the roster. Um, I think he has a chance to be a, a good player, obviously, long term for sure. This year, even possibly. Um, you know, we talked about it. He was one of the three guys that I thought did himself credit gave himself, you know, deserved credit um, by virtue of the way he played against Minnesota. So I've got no argument with that. And I've got no argument with, you know, if Tom Izzo believes this is in the best interest of his team, okay. But I don't – I'm going to be a little bit surprised if it's A.J. Hogart on Saturday, on Saturday against Nebraska. Maybe it will be. One possibility. Second possibility is the one I would probably rate as most likely – is Foster Lawyer rejoins the starting lineup. Um, I say that because of his experience, the fact that, you know, as much as those who get stuck in a narrative and can't adjust to changing circumstances won't admit, he's been better defensively. Not perfect. Not not a guy who's not capable of, um, of having rough stretches, as we saw in the Wisconsin game where they posted him up. Uh, but Foster Lawyer has played better basketball this year. And I, if I had to rate the likely outcomes, this would be one, the, the, the one that would be highest for me of the three. The only argument against it for this game, as we're going to go into talking about Nebraska, Nebraska doesn't have like the seven foot guys. You know, they don't have that kind of size, but their perimeter group is as big as any Michigan State's going to see. It's huge, and I don't know that they could start Foster (laughs) against that lineup. I think they may have to pick and choose where they can play Foster in this game. Mm -hmm. The third option would be it's Aaron Henry. Now, there there are arguments for and against that. I think the one that's against it the most, in my mind, is if you're making these adjustments – with rocket Watts, because you think it's kind of overwhelming him and you need to get more out of him as a total player. Well, Aaron Henry's already kind of struggling with that stuff, right? Just, just based on, based on um, the, the increased role and usage that Michigan State's have. now you're going to actually make him the point guard rather than, you know, mm. just a guy who's used as a facilitator. I mean, they've done it. Izzo's done this before, you know, going way back, Alan Anderson had a year, where he played mostly point guard his sophomore year uh, it was the year after Marcus Taylor and Michigan state just didn't really had Rashi Johnson. And, and that was about it. Chris Hill really Chris Hill. Yeah. hadn't translated to that position. Drew Neisel wasn't around yet. Um, and so Alan Anderson did a year of it. I, I could see them maybe shifting to that. But again, I wondered given that Aaron Henry is the other guy besides rocket Watts that you've kind of got to unlock. Although Aaron's issues are probably um, more narrowly defined with rocket. It's the totality of his game. He's not hitting shots. All of a sudden He's struggled defensively for much of the year. Aaron's been other than the game in Northwestern has been pretty good defensively, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes great. Um, And he's rebounded pretty well. Uh, what he hasn't done is shot the ball well, but but even so, are you do, do you run the risk of that remaining a problem if you're also putting the burden of running the offense on him, of really handing it to him rather than okay, you're a wing, but we're going to let you make plays a lot. You know, there's an argument that if, with the turnover issues he's had, and I'm not saying I agree with this necessarily, but there's an argument that if anything, you should be reducing the amount of playmaking you ask Aaron Henry to do, not mm-hmm. increasing. You know, so I don't know. It's you know, you add all that up, and 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 this is just my opinion. I will see where you land. I don't think I'd abandon Rocket Watts as the one. You know, I would say you give Hogard more minutes. That's fine, Mm -hmm. but I don't I don't know that AJ is in shape to be. Are are you going to turn him all of a sudden? He's going to be a twenty minute a night guy or more? I just I don't know if he's ready for that physically. You know, let's let's not forget. This is a guy who didn't come here in prime shape. He's he's kind of where guys like Denzel or Draymond were when they started. Just it's not a Derek Nick scenario, hmm. but he needs conditioning work, and I still think that's the case. You know, so I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I tend to. I think
0: Aaron Henry. If I had to, if I had to pick, okay. for for two reasons, I think. On defense, that gives you your best five players, you know. Um, and really, you're you're looking at taking it. It's really not so much Lawyer versus Henry. It would be more like Lawyer versus Langford because, mm-hmm. you know, Henry would be on the wing, then you'd have Rocket, and so Langford would presumably come off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is I honestly think um, – Aaron Henry's mindset is more of a pass first guy um and I don't know how how that translates into facilitating the offense, but it seems to me like he just doesn't quite have the attack mindset that Rocket does um, and maybe he he would be good in that role, maybe facilitating would kind of take his mind off of um feeling the need to always score uh, or make a play for his team. And he could just let the plays kind of come to him. Um, well,
1: you know what I, you've, I think that's all um, very much worth consideration. And you've probably convinced me that if they're going to make a change, which is obvious, they're going to, that that's probably the one that makes the most sense. I think the first thing, you said is the most important and it comes back around. I really didn't finish my thought Mm -hmm. at the outset where I said, you know, before the Minnesota game, at least by the numbers, you couldn't claim this was an offense that was struggling. You know, it shot the ball poorly against Northwestern for a while, but uh, over the totality of the season, the offense has been pretty good. The flip side of that though, is what's really the issue defense has been the problem all mm-hmm. year long that's been the issue and so when you say i do that because i think it gives me my best defensive group that has resonance for me and i agree with it and i think that's you know that's the other thing about elevating hogard to a big role now, i haven't seen aj get blown up really yet this year but we also haven't seen him play a ton of minutes I mean, the Minnesota game is really the first time that we've seen him play extended minutes. Now, that's a good test because, you know, you had a Marcus Carr out there. I honestly can't remember if A.J. guarded him a lot. Um, but, you know, he he will get – if he's playing a lot more, he's going to get tested. And I just don't know how that's going to go. Um, you know, you get one thing I would at least wonder about, though, you made the comment um, – it's a choice between Foster or Josh defensively. Yeah. And I guess, I guess my response to that is, has there been a notable difference between those two yet this year?
0: No, not as much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I physically, clearly there is Josh at least gives you a, Josh isn't going to get posted up the way Foster can. And Josh will be able to get contests on, on guys more easily because he's just a lot bigger. You know, seven yeah. inches or so bigger. So that's true. But in terms of like dribble denial, there's I think Foster's arguably been better. Mm-hmm. But it's point taken. And, and I think you're right. I think if I look at what's got to change with this team, and then this comes back around Aaron, too, the single biggest thing is possession by possession defensive consistency. And it starts, in my mind, with that perimeter group. Mm-hmm. Because that was supposed to be the strength, and it's been the weakness. It's been an abysmal failure so far. So you now they got to get possession by possession, game by game consistency defensively out of that group. And if they do that, I'm here to tell you that this stuff about the point guard won't matter very much. Yeah. Because their offense will be good enough no matter who's running it that if they play defense at the levels that we expected and that Michigan State traditionally does, they're still winning a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Maybe it maybe it's the difference between being a good team and a team that can win a Big Ten championship, but hey, come on. That, at, at least in terms of a realistic target, that ship has already sailed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that last one, I mean, they're in an 0-3 hole. As we saw last year, it doesn't mean you can't come back from it, but you know, right now my my thing is get to the tournament. <laughs> worry about winning championships another day. So I don't know. I think it's it's interesting, um, and it's going to be interesting to see what Izzo does. You know, he still it's it's a weird thing though because I I can I can cite a number of different theories, I guess, for why this is the case. But and I'll see what you think. I think unquestionably, this is the. the um, I, I don't mean to say it's the softest Tom Izzo, but it's Tom Izzo with the softest touch on a team I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree.
1: And, and I thought I, he was. I thought he was going to rain fire down from the heavens after that Minnesota game, and he did not. Didn't in the post game. Hasn't in, in press conferences since then. I, I felt that way. I was outraged. <laughs> As anybody who listens to this thing knows, mm-hmm. he wasn't. And I, you know, I, I'll ask you what you think. Why?
0: I, I think he he honestly, and he's been one of the softest areas has been with Rocket, and yeah, I think he it, maybe instinctively knows that they're asking Rocket to do not only a lot in totality, b- but they're asking him to do stuff that he's not very comfortable with.
1: So- well, he, he kind of said that today. There was a line in his press conference today, I don't know if you saw it, about that he, he kept wondering why is Rocket struggling with this and that, and then he said something like, and then I looked in the mirror and said, you're an idiot, meaning himself, that, which kind of gets to, I think, a conclusion that you just alluded to.
0: Yeah, I mean because Rocket, Rocket's most comfortable when he's attacking and hunting shots, and when he's making baskets, it seems it's like the reverse of what you usually see when you see people's defense gets their offense going. I, I think with Rocket, his offense gets his defense going, and he's most comfortable when he's attacking and not facilitating. You know, but no. I, that's not to say that it's not going to be helpful. I think it definitely will be helpful for Rocket long term. Having played the position and knowing, um, you know what all is, goes into it, it, it may help him with his shot selection. You know, and
1: and you may you may know this, and most of our listeners may know this, but I'll say it anyway. Apparently, according to Izzo, Rocket, had come to him and asked to move back to the two. Mm-hmm. So we got to put that in there as well. That apparently he he wants to play the position he played last year and that he's played most of his career. I'm, you know, I, there's, there's so many elements to this. You know, one thing that occurs to me with that is that's fine. And if that's who you believe you are, that's who you are, you know. Mm. Um, for his professional aspirations, I would suggest that's that's not clear-headed thinking. Yeah. Uh, because I think the opportunity to prove that he could handle being a lead guard um, was his best path to a, um, a professional career, a, you know, a, a good one. Yeah, yeah. I also just, I, you know, the, I, I hear what you say about offense, begetting defense, so to speak, with him. But then I think back to last year when he struggled for about two-thirds of the season offensively, yeah. or at least half. And he was great on defense all year long. So I guess I would say I don't believe it's as much just offense, like if he's not hitting shots, he doesn't defend. I don't think it's that simple. Mm-hmm. I will admit there could be a he's getting overloaded kind of thing and that that's impacting his defense by by virtue of how much he has to um to keep in his head and try to translate to the court because he's the lead guard. Mm. I just, I got to say, I'm surprised by all of it because to me, he actually shows, and still, I believe this shows more natural playmaking ability than either Kaelin Lucas or Keith Appling did. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. I think he's a better passer and a more instinctive passer than either of those guys were. And those guys just fine read guards. So I don't know. I don't know where I, it, but, but getting back to the Izzo thing, I think you're right. I think a lot of it is right, but it's not all rocket. It's even with this team, you know, it's, he's very much in this. We're going to get it turned around. We're going to get back on track. It's, it's all positive affirmation kind of stuff, which is not traditional Tom Izzo at all. Mm -hmm. it's never been that way. And so is it, it seems to me that you're correct me if I'm wrong. Your position is he feels like this team will not be best served by that. And so he's trying to strike a chord that he thinks is actually going to get this group of players to play better. Is that it? Yeah, I think
0: so. I I, I think it maybe because it's a shortened season, maybe it's the, the, uh, the personalities on the team, um, but he—it seems like, you know, maybe maybe they're just a little far into the season to be trying to figure out the right combination. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly, but.
1: But he, but that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. So I don't know that he believes that. I, I, I guess I'm talking more about his his public demeanor we obviously don't know what he's been like in practice but his public demeanor has never been like this ever yeah and so it is strange i'm of i'm of two minds one is what you're talking about that he believes just going scorched earth is not going to help this team, that this team, for whatever reason, the personalities involved are not built to handle it. I, Man, I struggle with that because he has lit Aaron Henry on fire. How many times mm-hmm. in his career already publicly? And Aaron Henry's lived to see another day and been just fine. And has seemed to respond to it. Right. Yeah. All those other juniors have been through this. Josh Lineford's seen it all for five years, you know, um, so we're not talking about that many guys who haven't been coached that way and haven't been around it. Um, the other thing is, and, and this is, I don't mean this to be controversial, but it it occurs to me at least as a theory, is I think to myself watching it, is this the after effect of his having had COVID? That, that he does not have that because that bringing that fire takes a lot. And this is not meant as a criticism at all. I'm just wondering, is that a factor that he doesn't have it within him right now to be that coach, to, to just really get out there and, and get in people's faces. And so he's trying another tack mostly because he feels like the gas tank is a little bit empty in terms of what his usual instinct is. And I could be completely full of shit. That is nothing more than a wild-haired guess. He is clearly not as demonstrative as he normally is on the sidelines. There's no question about that. But that can be a function of a lot of things. First and foremost, you don't have a crowd, mm-hmm. you know, which changes the dynamic, right? Um, but he that's clearly different but I don't know that you could say any coach has been their normal self on the sidelines this year. That's my observation watching a lot of games, is it feels like everybody's a little bit subdued in that way. Mm -hmm. I think the games on the court unfold more or less normally, but I think the sidelines are a little different. Um, But I'm just – I'm looking at that, and then I'm listening to the the way he's talking about this, and it just – it doesn't feel to me like that well it's clearly not the usual iso the question becomes why is it not
0: what you know? all, what else do you think about um, the transfer the, the loosening of the transfer
1: rules i mean do you think that I don't plays believe, into the softening up you mean that that he he's feeling like he can't coach guys as hard because he's worried they'll leave yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if that's the reason for it but hey it, I can't say definitively it's not, but that would cut against every single thing we've ever known about Thomas. So ever, you know, um, I just, I mean, look, anybody deciding to transfer now is still going to have to sit until next year. It's not like they have instant eligibility wherever they go. Right. And I just, I don't know. I'd, I'd be shocked If it was that, because that would be a sign of a guy that's coaching afraid. Mm -hmm. And that's not Tom Izzo. I think Tom Izzo, you know, look, he plays and I shouldn't say play because I do think it's legitimate. Um, You know, the kind of the, you know, I'm the bumpkin from the UP. I'm just a, you know, I'm lucky to be here, you know, with that kind of aw shucks kind of demeanor. But don't kid yourself. Tom Izzo has got a hell of an ego and he should. Guy's in the Hall of Fame, you know, so he should have an ego. Um, I don't think people like that, and I don't think guys who have done it his way as long as he has, are going to suddenly say, I'm not going to coach as hard as I did because I'm afraid of guys transferring. I mean, he's still been out there saying he thinks what the NCAA has done with transfers is ridiculous and harms kids. So he's, he's not all in on this thing by any means. And I can't see him change his demeanor, but Hey, you know, you raise it. It's another thing out there where we admit it's kind of a mystery, so I can't rule it out. I just would put a very, very, very low probability on that. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly think if I had to, if I had to, um, choose it's a combination of those first two things that we we said that that he maybe knows he doesn't have that well of energy to go to that he normally does and in turn he probably feels like this group for whatever reason will not respond well that he if he goes scorched earth he runs the risk of them just folding and dying you know i i i got to assume that's it but but it's not getting enough attention, frankly, for in in my opinion, as to how unusual this is. That the start has kind of overwhelmed everything. But his demeanor is a huge departure from anything we've seen mm-hmm. ever.
0: You know, and it may be just all the 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 weirdness and the strangeness that comes with this COVID stuff, uh, changing practice times. You know, having to get different. And, you know, not getting enough practice in um yeah yeah that's Michigan fair. state's a pretty complex system you know i mean by and large i mean it takes that's
1: fair and and we know that the off season was not anything close to a normal off season. Mm-hmm. um you you know you you may you may have really hit on it with that that it could simply be a recognition that hey the deck is stacked against us because we've been through no, and no fault of anyone involved. Right. We've been unable to do the things we usually do. And so we're all kind of casting around. I mean, he's putting most of the blame on himself right now. If you listen to what he's saying, he did it with the rocket thing at the one. He puts it all on himself. Um, but and it could be that it could be that he's just recognizing, look, we don't have the we don't have the days left and we've already lost whatever's come before this to try to tighten this thing up the way we normally do. So we gotta try another approach. Yeah. I don't know. That might be it. But anyway, it'll be interesting. And on Saturday, as we go into this preview, will be our first look at exactly what this means on the court for Michigan State. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh so if we look at um the Huskers, 4-6 and six overall, 0-3 in the conference um, after getting crushed at, uh, by Ohio State Wednesday. Uh, they're at 122 in Ken Palm, 163 on offense, 100 on defense. Um, tempo's 33, so they play fast. Uh, and we're looking at a roster that's almost 100% turnover, with the exception of yeah. maybe two guys. Um, yep, that's right. So what... What are you looking at? They only won two two Big Ten games or one no two Big Ten games last year. Um,
1: yeah, and I was pretty confident that they would outperform that this year. Um and I still think probably they do. You know, in they fairness certainly got to that, more talent. That way more. And it's a bigger team. I mean, there's certain things. That overall Ken Tom number is still bad. Mm -hmm. It's at the same levels as it was last year, more or less. But when you look at the offense and the defense, they are better, particularly the defense. I mean, look, sitting at 100 is nothing to do cartwheels over, but it's massive improvement Mm -hmm. from a year ago. Um, I think they're a, they're a more coherent team and, and that's relative, but (laughs) they are better. Um, it's just that the one big thing is they can't shoot. they're twenty nine point six percent as a team from three and from two they're at number 241 nationally so they're in the bottom easily in the bottom half pretty mm-hmm. much in the close to the bottom third. Um, they're number 183 in offensive rebounding. That's better than last year, but it's still not great mm-hmm. so, they don't shoot well. They're not a rebounding force. The only thing they do decently, two things: uh, they get to the line a decent amount. They're 96th in free throws as an overall percentage of, as a percentage of their overall scoring. So they get to the line with some frequency. Problem is they only shoot 65 percent mm. group when they get there. So that kind of negates that a little bit. And they're number 74 in turnover percentage. So despite the fact that they're playing fast, they're they're valuing the ball a little better. So it's a struggle, you know, and that that's to be expected to a degree when you've got um, as many new faces, as you said, where it's it's almost complete roster turnover. Now, a couple of these guys, um, Banton and Stevenson, were actually around last year. They were sitting out as transfers, so they aren't Mm -hmm. completely new, but it's still a, you know, we see that with Joey Hauser. It's still a different deal. Yeah, when you're playing. So I think that explains some of it. But um, to be fair, I honestly thought they would be better than this. And they've had some moments. They they really pushed Michigan Mm. in their second game. Michigan pulled away a little at the end, but Nebraska was right in that one. So, you know, the fact that they got blown off the floor a couple times, that hasn't been the case in every game. It's just I I did think they would have some better stuff to highlight. I mean, I, I had them picked ahead of Northwestern and Penn state. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that now, right now I would say that they're the worst team in the league, but you know, um, it's, uh, I still think there's the potential for them to get better. It just depends on when that clicks in, um, defensively. Oh, and they, the other thing is they don't pass the ball. Well, They're number 231 in assists as a percentage of field goals made, um, So they don't, you know, baskets that are derived from an assist, Mm -hmm. uh, put another way. Uh, So they're, and this is not a team that, I mean, they've got some guys that can go get it their own a little bit. But this is, this is not DDM Kentucky under, you know, their numbers should be better than that. And it's not on defense. They're okay in terms of limiting shooting 181. So they're very middling. And they're 188 in defensive rebounding. Again, not good, but not as bad as it were last year. So there's some improvements there. Um, but defense, there's nothing that really stood out as great or even good. And yet there's nothing that was really just God awful. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're sitting at 100. That's kind of the profile of the number 100 team.
0: Uh, so you look at their starting lineup, Delano Banton, 6'9", sophomore transfer from uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, Banton averaging 13.4 points a game on 44, 31 and 72 shooting.
1: Whoop! you there. Hey, yeah, I'm here. I don't know what happened. Um, so we're right at the starters, I guess. You can just go right in with that. Uh,
0: so Delano Banton, six, nine sophomore transfer from Western Kentucky, uh, Banton averaging 13.4 points a game on 44 31 and 72 um and he also leads the team in assists at 4.7 and per 2.2 turnovers a game and he's uh yeah. leading the team in rebounding I'm sorry 7.5 rebounds a game
1: and a block and he also also leads them in blocks at one a game so he leads them in every area except scoring where he's second Mm. Um, in terms of the counting stats. Uh, He's clearly their best all-around player, which is not a big surprise to me. I had had mentioned um, in our season preview that I thought he was a guy who had a chance to be a difference maker, and he's largely played the way I expected him to. You know, the three-point number is not great, and that's probably the area he needs the most work on. Um, But, you know, it's funny. I've seen some speculation that see if this sounds familiar that they should take him off the ball to get a better team result and to get more out of him. But I look at their team and I'm not sure who the point guard is. If it's not him, Mm -hmm. you know, Trey McGowan's played a little bit on the ball at Pitt, but he's not a point guard. Kobe Webster is a six foot shooting guard. He might look like a point guard, but he's not a point guard. Um, Who else is going to play the position? So I, I think he's the right guy, and I actually think he's been pretty good. You know, he's better than a two-to-one ratio. He's not failing there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you are, are you blaming him for the fact that other guys aren't hitting shots? Maybe. Maybe he deserves that. I don't, I don't see enough of them to know. But um, I just think the overall contributions that he's making, it's hard to argue with this guy as a as having really been an impact player for them. Um, as I say, needs to improve his jump shot, but you know the good thing is he doesn't go to it too often. Mm-hmm. He he plays like a guy who understands that's not the strength of his game. You don't see him going out and chucking up six or seven attempts, typically. You know, um, so I like him. Huh. I think if I had to say, is there one element of Nebraska to feel optimistic about going forward for the future? It's him, assuming that they can keep him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't decide to go pro or or transfer out or whatever. He's – because he's only a sophomore in terms of eligibility. He's the reason, because I think he's a guy you can build a team around. I really do. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And then Teddy Allen, 6'6", junior transfer um, from uh, Juco, junior transfer. Uh, He leads them in scoring 17.7 points a game, 43, 34, and 65 from the line.
1: Uh, and he's grabbing five rebounds a game. He's, you know, he plays a little bit like the guys they had last year. The difference is he's a little more efficient than those guys. I mean, he's still, he's taking a lot of shots, more than 14 attempts per game. So mm-hmm. he'd better be scoring 17.7 a night on that many shots, you know, but he's not bad. I mean, he's, he's kind of an athletic guy, six, six, got good size on the wing, kind of dynamic athletically he just isn't the most efficient shooter, and that's what holds him back. But, again, he and Banton, I think that's a pretty good one-two punch. Uh, and then Trey McGowan,
0: 6'4", transfer uh, junior from Pitt, averaging 10.6 points a game on 40% from the floor, 41 from three, and 61 from the line.
1: Yeah, you know, again, 41% from three, you'll take that. Um, this is a pretty good perimeter group, and that's, that's the thing that's hard. For me to understand it it maybe not. As we just went through, you know, you drill down into their numbers and they're clearly better than they were a year ago. The problem is it's not making enough of a difference in wins and losses. Yeah. So I can look at that threesome and say, this is clearly a better group in every way. They're more efficient, they got better potential, they're bigger, they shoot the ball a little better. Um, all those things are true than the group that they replaced, but it just hasn't been quite enough to get them over the hump and getting get him, like wins. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think McGowan's has been pretty good, you know, 40, 41. That's say, hey, yeah, you can live with that. too. He, he... he is, he is. And he can make plays for people at times. I, as I said, I don't think he's a point guard, but you know, it, it's, it's a pretty good three man group. You're, you know, you've got experience too. I mean, Allen is two year Juco guy. McGowan's played a couple of years in the ACC and Banton played a year at Western Kentucky. So they're not all freshmen either. Mm-hmm. Maybe the biggest thing is they're new to each other. Banton yeah. was around last year, but redshirting. the other, the other two guys um, played elsewhere and then transferred in. So they are a new group to each other. And that's probably something that will improve with time as they get more familiarity.
0: Mm-hmm. And then Lat Mayan, six uh, nine JUCO junior transfer. He's averaging six point five points a game, four point eight rebounds, um, thirty one from the floor, twenty five from three, and sixty four from the line. And he takes quite a bit of threes.
1: And and that's the big problem. They when when they landed him, the thought was, here's our stretch four. He's got enough size that defensively he should be able to hang in there. Maybe give us some help on the boards but he could stretch a defense and he's shooting 25% from three. So there's, there's a big issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think if that improves, their whole thing improves because they're getting production at that position that they're, they're not getting right now.
0: Uh, and then Ivan,
1: <laughs>
0: I always mess this up. Udrow, Udro. Udro Udro. udro Okay. Six nine sophomore. He's five points a game, five point seven rebounds, um, forty four from the floor, fifty seven. Wait, is that right? Fifty three. Fifty three from three, from the line. Oh,
1: sorry. from the line. Yeah, he's no not threes. a three point. No three. <laughs> yeah, forty four from the floor, fifty three from the line. But he's like yeah. You guy. know, I think he's and I've got him as a starter in this game because I think. They'll go with him. They, they have occasionally been starting Thor instead, which is a really small lineup. Um, I think this kid's still got potential. He's really young. He's a sophomore and he's only 18. Played all last year as a 17-year-old. Um, he's the he's one of the two true centers they've got on the roster. And I think he's making progress. Just it comes in fits and starts. The rebounding numbers are not bad, mm-hmm. considering the minutes. Um, but I think offensively, he's still very raw, you know, right now they would hope, you know, rebounding and defense and an occasional bucket here and there is what you get out of him.
0: Yeah. He's not like got the greatest hands. He's not going to like post you up really. No, no. Um, so then coming off the bench, they got Kobe Webster, six foot grad transfer. He's averaging eight points a game, 41 from the floor, 33 from the uh, three and 67 from the line
1: yeah and and more than half his attempts come from deep um pretty much playing the way i thought he would you know he's a transfer up guy came in from western illinois and had gaudy numbers at that level but you always look at the shooting with a grain of salt moving up and you know 33 percent is probably a fair approximation of what i thought he'd be not terrible but not enough to make him a huge huge difference maker you know he just gives that perimeter group some help because um, he's experienced and he can hit a shot occasionally but um you know and definitely a guy that you know going into this game you can't rule out that kobe webster could reel off three or four triples you know it could happen
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but but on the season he hasn't been much more than you know kind of an average impact guy as a reserve
0: uh, and then Shamil Stevenson, six five sophomore transfer again from Pitt, um, averaging five point four points a game, forty four from the floor, seven percent from three, and seventy five from the line. He's a weird. Yeah. He's kind of emblematic of the whole lineup, and it's almost like he's six five, but he plays like a big.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, he's like two hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, so he's the definition of a power guard, and and I remember looking at his numbers from his time at Pitt. And what was obvious is despite the fact that he took a lot of threes and he shot a lot better there than he has at Nebraska so far, but um, he still got himself to the line a lot. And he's doing that this year. He's averaging almost three free throw attempts per game, despite the fact that he's only playing 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So if you doubled that and say he was a 30 minute a night guy, he'd be averaging almost six free throw attempts a game. That's pretty good. That's an indication of a guy that's getting to the basket with some frequency. Mm-hmm. So um, his style of play has kind of remained intact. I would say the big problem is that right now he's just not a three-point threat at all. I mean, 7% is tough to – that's tough yeah. to overcome, you know? Uh,
0: and then Thor, Thor six 6'6", junior, he's getting 3.5 points a game, 29 from the floor, 21 from 3, 75 from the line. Uh, and that's probably a disappointment for them.
1: Big, yeah. yes. And he's played a lot. I haven't listed him as a reserve. It wouldn't be a total shocker if he starts in this game because he has started with some frequency. But he had a good year last year. Mm-hmm. He was the one guy you could point to and say, hey, that guy That guy played well, took to Fred Hoiberg's coaching well. The fact that he's at 21% from three, you know, two-thirds of his shots come from out there. So if he's not hitting threes at a decent rate, you're just not getting much out of him. That's what he is. Mm. Um, and and that's been a disappointment. Yeah. Uh,
0: and then Trevor Lake, 6'7", senior, who transferred in from Division II, um, who's been playing a little bit more recently, averaging five points a game, three rebounds in about 17 minutes.
1: Yeah, and the numbers are good, right? 47% overall, 46% from three. He's 0-1 at the line. So... Um, you know, as guys like Thor have not delivered, they've got a guy like Lakes who at least lately is giving them something mm-hmm. for the perimeter you know he's six seven, about two fifteen, so he can play a little bit as a small ball four you know, and that would also be another option if if Mayan continues to struggle as well mm-hmm. um but he's kind of come out of nowhere, he was not a guy who was expected to be an impact player. And he's the, he's only played in the last four games, but he's averaging 17 minutes in those games. So it's obvious that um, Fred Hoiberg has found something he liked.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Eduardo Andre, 6'10", 230 freshman, mm-hmm. who's uh, seen a little bit of an increase in his minutes lately. Uh, 3.8 points a game, 1.8 rebounds in seven minutes, uh, 86% from the floor,
1: uh, 60 from the line. Yeah, so at least this guy seems to know what a good shot is for mm-hmm. himself, right? Um, but, yeah, he was recruited, at, you know, as a freshman, kind of a raw guy. I think he's from England um, and uh, wasn't a lot expected this year. But, again, I think with some guys struggling, um, Hoyberg is kind of, kind of where Tom Izzo is in a way, you know? I mean, somebody doing a similar preview on Michigan State, would look at A.J. Hogard and, um, and Mati Sissoko and say, well, you know, there wasn't a lot counted on from them, but they seem to be playing a lot more lately. Mm. I, I think that's what happens when you're struggling, right? If you have options, you're going to look to them just to see if maybe you've got something. Mm-hmm. But Nebraska could really use that because, you know, despite the fact that they're a much bigger team overall than they were last year, they still don't have a lot truly in the paint. And, and Andre at least physically has that to bring. So
0: this is a a, a strange team in that it seems like their their size doesn't match their game. <laughs> like, you know, they have six Correct. nine guys playing the point, 65 guys You're rebounding. Right. <laughs> There's just a lot of guys that are just kind of sort of that's unique good, guys. That's a that's a
1: good that's a good point. That's a good point. But I do think um overall it is reflected in improvement they've had in some areas, most notably rebounding at both ends. They're still mm-hmm. not a great or even good rebounding team, but they're average yeah. on a national level, and um, which translates to below average at a Big Ten level, but you get my meaning. They're mm-hmm. far better than they were last year. Where they were one of the worst rebounding teams in the country, and I think that's mostly due to the fact that they're just bigger overall, even though, as uh, you're correct, the guys who are biggest – aren't necessarily post players
0: yeah and play
1: and who play that style aren't necessarily post players
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see who who gets who matches up with who in this one yeah Um,
1: well this is one of the main reasons as i said this may be a game that um you can't you can't really afford to play foster and rocket together a lot mm -hmm. because it's, you know, there may be moments like if they have a lineup where they've got um, Webster and McGowan's maybe out there or Webster, let's say Webster and Thor, who's six, six, but mostly a jump shooter. Maybe that's a lineup that yeah. you could get Foster and Rocket some time together. But at least in terms of the guys playing the majority of minutes, it's it's going to be tough to do that because they're so big on that perimeter. Hmm.
0: Uh, so the keys, Rod. Uh, number one, effort.
1: Yeah, I mean, we spent our whole post game basically talking about that, and and going back to our Izzo discussion. I didn't hear him say a lot about that, about the fact that um, they just didn't compete, and I was shocked. That was that was the thing that was most shocking to me because I. I I feel like I got a pretty good idea what the pulse is around Mm. this program by this point. And and you kind of know when you see something that, I mean, they got out-rebounded by 15 or 16 in that game. Now, that doesn't tell the whole story because there's, you know, one team missed a lot more shots than the other, et cetera. But any way you slice it, if you looked at it as on a percentage basis, if you just looked at it with the naked eye, you understood Michigan State just didn't compete. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that would normally just earn you a blistering from Tom Izzo in every forum. And it didn't really happen after this one, and I'm not sure why. We, you know, I think we talked that out as to what the reasons may be, but whatever Tom Izzo was saying publicly, I will continue to maintain. If Michigan State doesn't bring a much better effort than they did against Minnesota, none of this other stuff we're going to talk about matters. Yeah. Now, I thought they competed against Wisconsin. You know, it's not like that. And they've competed most of the year. Mm-hmm. But but that showed up uh, for sure in that Minnesota game. There's no doubt about it. And it can't show up like that again.
0: Uh, and then, too, early scoring. Um, Yeah, they they seem to be a team that, Uh, You know, at least, you know, but in prior years when they got down 20 to Northwestern, they were able to come back and win. This doesn't maybe seem like a team that does too well when they get behind.
1: No. If you look at the three Big Ten games thus far, Northwestern, they struggled out of the gate and it kind of stayed that way. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Minnesota, they struggled out of the gate and it really stayed that way. Wisconsin, they had some early success hitting shots and they kept up their offensive execution for the most part in that game. I mean, they had some turnover issues, but, but by and large, that was a pretty decent offensive game against a very good defensive team. You got to, got to take into account who they were playing Mm. as well. So I do think that, especially for a team that's 0-3 in the league, it's on this three game losing skid. um, I think they need, shots of confidence and hitting some shots early would help. Mm.
0: Uh, And then the boards.
1: Yeah. I mean, as I've said a few times here, they're not nearly as bad as they were last year, but they're not good. MSU has to control the glass in this game. You know, the Minnesota game, I said many of the same types of things and Minnesota was a flat out bad, bad defensive rebounding team. Mm-hmm. And Michigan State did nothing, so it, it's fine to talk about what the stats tell you, but it needs to translate to the floor. Yep,
0: uh, and then transition play. We mentioned uh, Nebraska does play somewhat fast. At like oh, they do thirty. Yeah, 50, you know thirty yep. adjusted tempo. I said thirty now.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do, and and yet you know if you're Michigan State, any team you play. Anybody, anytime, anywhere, you say, we need to have an edge in transition play. If it's going to be a fast-paced game, great. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. They're but,
0: actually very similar to Minnesota in their tempo.
1: Yep, and, and and it's something, you know, if we look at Northwestern, Minnesota, now these guys, um, all of a sudden, the big 10, Illinois, I haven't looked at Illinois' tempo stats, but I got to believe they're pretty high as well, um, and Iowa certainly is the big 10 traditionally has been a league where tempo numbers have been relatively low. Um, and they are going to get a little lower, I think, as we get further into conference play, because other big 10 defenses will do that to you typically. But I will say there is more of an emphasis on playing fast this year than any time in recent memory. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of teams that are, that are playing this way. And, so that should be to Michigan State's advantage. It should be. Yeah. I'm not sure it has been thus far. At some point, they got to make that a positive for them, you know. And maybe this is one of the things too. I don't. I don't know. It, it could be that Izzo feels like one of the reasons the rocket experiment isn't working is that they're not getting as much out of their transition game. Mm. That either he's not pushing it the way they need it pushed or they don't have him as a finisher on the wings you know they don't have him as a trailing three threat or a guy who can get to the rim and finish a break um you know it could be that stuff is playing into it too but however however it cuts they've got to be better in transition than they've been mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then dribble containment
1: yeah it's been a problem all year i mean i ironically i thought that they did one of their better jobs in that Minnesota game, because Marcus Carr is the best penetrating guard. They will play all year, uh, give or take to Sun. There he's, he's a better creator. Desunmu maybe is a little better at getting his own. Um, but the is right at the top of that list. And he didn't control that game. You know, he got his points, but he was held well below his scoring average. And, he didn't dominate the game Michigan state did okay at keeping them out of the lane that way there were other areas they got beat mm-hmm. but but they were pretty good there uh that needs to continue Nebraska does not have a player like that you know we mentioned they got bigger guards but yet you know the Wayne's Allen and McGowan's are athletes and so they will look to try to get to the rim um And this team does a decent job at that. Not like Minnesota does, but a decent job at getting to the line. Um, But we've seen this year that you don't need to have a Marcus Carr type player to have success penetrating against MSU. Go back to Dimitri Trice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just killed Michigan State penetrating. And, And he's not known as that kind of player. So just because they don't have a guy that's, you know, averaging eight or nine free throw attempts a game doesn't mean that they might not do damage against Michigan State with the way Michigan State has played contained defense this year. So, you know, what you want to do is keep them out of the lane, make this team shoot jump shots. From an MSU perspective, you live with that because they have not shot well. If they happen to shoot well on Saturday, well, okay. You got to live with that. You can't take everything away. Um, But I think it starts with – turning them into a jump shooting team. And if you do that, you got to live with the results.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, um, this one's eight o'clock on Saturday, big 10 network. Um, you know, Any final thoughts heading into this one in uh, Lincoln?
1: I think it's going to be one of the more interesting games we've seen in a while from an MSU perspective, not just to see if they can win a big 10 game. That's a big thing. I mean, they need desperately need to win, mm-hmm. but but more from the perspective of what does it say about what direction this team is going to go in. I mean, you said, well, they probably don't have time to do a lot of experimenting and I'd agree with you, except here we are (laughs) December 31st and they are doing just that out of necessity. Mm. Um, And so I think it will be very interesting as it perhaps sets the tone for what is to come. You know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about AJ Hogarth. We, we didn't spend much time talking about the possibility of the other freshman, Matty Siselko, seeing his role increase. And I think that probably is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Who's, at whose expense it comes is an open question. I, I tend to think that Hauser and Hall and Kithier's minutes are going to remain pretty consistent. Mm. I don't think we're going to see many changes. Thomas Kithier certainly should not see his minutes decrease, not after the way he's played. He's been one of the few guys that you can say positive things about lately. Uh, but I think Marcus Bingham and and, um, and Julius Marble, those are guys that maybe Manny Sissoko starts to play instead of. You know? we'll, we'll see. I think, it, again, Nebraska is going to be interesting from that perspective. Um, how many minutes does does Maddie get? Because he's another guy who at least got out there and competed and rebounded against Minnesota when nobody else was, other than Kithier.
0: And you'd think he's not particularly going to get tested too bad on on
1: defense with Uduak Yeah, Udraugo. right. This could be. You're right. This could be a game where they feel like they can steal him some minutes. It, it, but but then if Nebraska goes small, you probably can't. So maybe they look for those opportunities to play him. Um, But yeah, but those are, that's another thing I would keep your eye on to see what MSU is doing.
0: Okay. Well, until the post game, the final four is not always good. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile